Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted now to be joined by Alex Stewart. Good evening, Joe. Good evening, Alex. And of course, JJ Ball the Bullet. Hello there. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks. That's good. We're going to talk about lots of exciting uh, football today. Um, apologies uh, have come from uh, from abroad, from Seb Stafford Bloor, who uh, is uh, caught in a hot air balloon, JJ. Yes. Uh, interesting choice of transportation. He said he wanted to go up in a hot air balloon. He said he wanted to travel. Go far and wide, high and up, he said. Sure. And I thought it was a strange sentence then. We're going to talk about England today, who uh, smashed Ukraine 4-0. Lots of exciting goals and, 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 and balls to talk about there. And of course, we're also going to talk about uh, the Czech Republic 1-2 Denmark a little bit later, creating a semi-final draw between Denmark and England, which we will also approach. But if you like to approach things, you should approach them through knowledge and research. And you can do both of those things at The Athletic if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you'll find that knowledge and research have never been easier for you. Remember at school when you didn't like learning? Well, that was that's gone now because you'll like it at The Athletic because your teachers aren't losers anymore. They're people like David Ornstein, James Horncastle, uh, uh, other, uh, Amy Lawrence, Joey Derso, and more. Michael Cox. So visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where there's a reporter covering every single Premier League team and indeed some in the championship. Uh, that's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Right. England still haven't conceded a goal. We're going to talk about them. Best team in the tournament, obviously 4-0 Ukraine. And uh, also we're going to talk about how uh, fantastic Denmark have been. It was a great day, wasn't it, Alex? Thrilling. And it was, uh, were you thrilled, JJ Bull? Uh almost all of the time. Yeah. It's quite difficult to be thrilled all the time, isn't it? It takes a tax on the body. You've got to work hard to be thrilled hard. That's what I always say. <laughs> okay. Well, now I'll leave you in the warm hands and the cool, cool, cool embrace of the England team. Where else to begin, Alex? Than with England's 4-0 victory over Ukraine. Ukraine nil for England. What did you make of the game? Uh, I thought it was very good. You thought it, it was, was very good? Controlled. Uh, England had a fairly clear pattern. They knew, I think Southgate anticipated exactly what Ukraine would do. Yeah. So folding back, yes, it was kind of a 3-5-2, but it was very much a 5-3-2. Uh, he set the team up well. He allowed players to progress the ball sensibly, but I, I felt at no point really did England rush anything. Yeah, uh, They were content to maintain possession. They accelerated at the beginning of each half uh, and really sought to kind of hit the the Ukraine side yeah. out of the traps. That worked very, very well. <laughs> it worked extremely well. I believe extremely they scored well. a goal near the beginning of both halves. Uh, yeah. and um, But I think the main thing with this is, again, the, this clean sheet thing. Yeah. You know, England, and I know we'll come to talk a little bit later about the, the manner of England's defending, but I think for, for a team to have got this far in the tournament without conceding a single goal is enormously impressive. It's super impressive. And yeah. I mean, the other thing is, it's not just that they haven't conceded a, a single goal, but talking to JJ about this earlier, JJ, the last time it really looked like England might concede a goal, with the exception of that Muller shot in the Germany game, it really was uh, Scotland who, who gave England the most trouble going backwards, who seemed to threaten most England's mm -hmm. goal. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing that Southgate's doing, like we talked about. He's trying to make games not boring, but like just taking any sort of randomness out of it. If you take any chaos out of it, you can largely control what happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, this strategy works really well when you're the team that goes to score first. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the kind of one, I don't know they're going to regret it because I think they they might be really good. Uh, it's the kind of thing, that, yeah. If, yeah. If a team does go ahead of them, then you wonder whether he has to certainly change the way they're playing yeah. and the mentality changes. And then you start seeing little moments of, of chaos where players have to move to different positions or they attempt different styles of passes. And then you start seeing the gaps that open up. And then and the kind of thing, I mean, this is so small to, to, to look at, but Pickford's little wild lunge on the ball, the tiny kind of mistake that can creep into games. I mean, they got lucky against Germany with that thing that Muller missed because mm-hmm. that can easily happen. But uh, yeah, I mean, Southgate set them up to be like this. It's not, it's not a coincidence that they're, it's not, and it's also not that they're some genius defensive team either. It is just that they are controlling games against teams they can do it against. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Scotland caused them problems, but then there's, there's some sort of, there was just a mentality issue to that. I think when Scotland were right up for it and really going against it, and I think England expected that, or Southgate mm-hmm. certainly did, and was happy probably even just getting the point out of it. Yeah, because he'd already beaten Croatia. They knew they were going to go through with four yeah. basically. Um, which is, and there's that whole other thing with finishing second might have been better. You know, there was that whole palava, we'll yeah. say. Uh, I don't remember Czech Republic causing them problems, did they? I don't think they did. Not then, a huge number of problems. No, I think I think teams, apart from Scotland, teams have been relatively reticent to run at England. Yeah. And that's partly because England are actually really quite good at falling back into a posture that makes it hard to run through the middle. Uh, and they don't give up much loose space in that area. So when there are turnovers, England are falling into that position. Declan Rice is screening, Calvin Phillips is tucking back really, really quickly. But I think there's two things to be concerned about if you're England. The first is their ability to deal with runners just carrying the ball at them is still something I would be concerned about. But also, like JJ says, this mentality thing, if you haven't conceded a goal, that's fantastic but it also means you've not had to come from behind at any point. And and it, that does pose a question. And it's the sort of thing that you're never going to know what the answer to that is until such a time as it occurs. Yeah. But that would be a slight concern for me, that if they do go a goal down, how do they respond? Because it's unfamiliar. I mean, soon enough we can come on to talk about the talent that England have on their bench. I want to talk about Phil Foden uh, today, who, as far as I'm aware, didn't come on at all. Sancho, of course, we can come and talk about him. He started the game as well, and Mount is back uh, after his uh, his absence too. But before we before we get to that, I just wanted to say about today's game, Alex. It felt a little bit like, and this is not um, a clever way of describing it, but it felt a bit like a different class game at times today. You you made the point that perhaps Ukraine hadn't played quite to their strengths. Maybe England were a little bit better than they've been in, in other games, but it it felt like almost like a come down after the Germany game. This one just seemed a lot more straightforward. Yeah, and and I think Southgate did a really, really good job of not getting England to feel like that was the case. Yeah, I think England asserted themselves in an intelligent way. They didn't go about it arrogantly, and Southgate has clearly got the measure of this squad and is able to uh, psychologically work with them in such a way that they don't get hyped up. They don't, you know, you could you could see that that early goal meant a lot to the players, not in yeah. a kind of well, this is the first of many, but 
we've worked for this, even if it's come after five minutes. I think also they've been trying to score an early goal in both halves. Yeah, that's the whole tournament. True, so yes. that it's finally yes. come off is probably quite nice. Um, but I also think, again, Ukraine, I mean, I'm, I'm really curious about why Malinovsky wasn't even named as a substitute. Mm. Um, and we talked about him in a previous podcast about what a, an intelligent, creative threat he is. He is also very good at carrying the ball. I thought Yarmolenko barely was able to to run at England at all. Yeah. And it felt like Ukraine, I do understand why, but it felt like they ceded so much room down the flanks that allowed particularly Luke Shaw just the run of that side of the pitch. Yeah. And it also left them in a position where their two front players were incredibly isolated. And while Yaramchuk is good at holding up the ball, if there's basically only Yaramchuk, Yarmolenko and Zinchenko trying to get forwards occasionally, they're not going to threaten anything. So I, I did feel like Ukraine kind of made their own bed a bit. Yeah, okay. JJ, on the note that Alex was mentioning before about the idea of England not having been behind before, what would we see from them if that were the case? The reason I bring up the bench is because there's some fantastic attacking talent. We've seen some of it a little fresh today, Jaden Sancho making a start. Uh, but I want to ask Alex about him in a moment. What I want to ask you about is, is Phil Foden, because... Uh, it's a competitive team. It's difficult to get into very clearly, but he was fantastic in the first couple of games. Like I felt like he was, you know, one of England's bright sparks. I was really excited to see him he sort of disappeared from the team as and when it was necessary to do so, but he hasn't come back yet. And I'm wondering if he might feel a little bit, you know, hard done by. Uh, I mean, he, yeah, I, he was so good against Scotland. I thought I, I couldn't believe when he came off because he was yeah. the only player that I was uh, as a Scotland supporter during that game, neutral all the time. Otherwise, uh, the only player I was really worried about, and he started the first game as well against Croatia. Didn't he started and yeah. I, again? He didn't he hit the post in that I think one. He hit one the as post well. in both of those games. I can only think the reason he's not playing is because he's not doing something that Southgate wants him to do, or he's not done it quite well enough. Right. So you bring Sancho on now that all the Manchester United uh, noise and phone calls are done or, I don't know, MSN chat. Yeah, maybe that's it. That's what it is. Uh, that's how they do transfers now. And <laughs> I thought it was the fax machine. <laughs> yeah, that, MSN chat. Then the fax machine when it gets serious. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Always fax before and after the mm -hmm. MSN. Yeah. It's important. But then, so Sa Sancho I thought was excellent tonight. Um, he's better at maybe driving forward with the ball. But then when you think about it, Foden can do all of it. Foden was at his best at Man City last season in the Premier League, I think, and Champions League, actually, when he was really playing every game. Uh, on the left wing, seemed to do really well there. He's a lot, he's, he's so fast. And he can really play as that winger and then float about with the rotations there. But you want Sterling in because you can't, you can't drop Sterling. Yeah. He's been England's best player. So then you want to try and fit in that right side. Uh, Sancho made sense today. Um, there's sure. going to be some sort of reason. We can, I'm sure we could come up with a whole bunch of them why he would have started could have been Foden, maybe because Sancho's right-footed, he can play as a winger on the outside, maybe that's what they're thinking in that regard, to get balls in the box for yeah. Kane. Because yeah. uh, there were times when they were building for the back with a three with Walker, the right-sided centre-back. So if you play Foden on the right, left-footed, he's going to come inside and then you lose that width. And so they're trying to hold that width by not bringing Walker up so they maintain their back four to have control of the game because that is yeah. the whole thing they're trying to do. And so uh, to summarise, I don't know why he's not playing. It's an interesting one though, isn't it? Because I'm like, you know, one of the kind of lines of the tournament so far was uh, listening to Rafa Honigstein talking about how people in Germany just didn't understand why Sancho wasn't playing. And I feel kind of similarly. I mean, it's not that I don't understand. I can see that it is complicated and that there are many good players to try and fit into too few positions in that front line. And we've already seen one England game, obviously, against Germany where there was only three, three spaces instead of four. 
But Alex, uh, Phil Foden is often discussed in, you know, similar category to Mbappe in Holland as like a potential future Ballon d'Or winner, maybe. Mm. You know, we've seen how he plays at Manchester City. JJ says he can do literally everything. It's not a case of him being a player who either runs in behind or either drops deep or whatever. What do you make of him? Um, well, I agree with JJ on on that. I, I think the issue here is, I guess, kind of like you were alluding to, that that there is a slot on the right wing mm. and that's it. Yeah. That that Sterling has proven his worth. To put it another way, Sterling was always going to play anyway because of so- how Southgate rates him, but also in this yeah. tournament he has been really good. It's completely undroppable. Right, exactly. And so you're playing there for one position. Potentially Foden could have come in and played as the kind of 10 in the mount role and mm. I think he can do that very ably. I think one of the interesting things with a player like Phil Foden is trying to work out is his future is as a as a left-sided inverted winger, yeah. as a proper right-sided winger, as a very attacking 10. Can I ask a question on that, though? Because it's something I've thought with Phil Foden before. Is there a concern with young players who come through in very specific systems like Guardiola's at Manchester City, where you have that, you know, the two sort of free eights in a way? Mm-hmm. Is there a concern at all that that coach goes... That player, you know, reaches 23, 24. That's what they've, they've, that was their sort of transition into senior team football was playing like that. And there's not really anywhere else that you can go where you can do all of those things in one. Is he being trained to play a position that isn't available anywhere else? Will he, will, does, does Phil Foden need to ever know where his position is? No, I'm going to say something really quite pretentious now. Go ahead, go ahead. Which is that I think Phil Foden is just being trained to be an elite footballer. Okay. And that positionally he will, he will play where he is required to play. He has a skill set, an appreciation of space, and an appreciation of his opponent's position that is really unmatched by players in England yeah. of his sort of age. You know, very, very few players have that all-round ability and also added to that the technique, the change of pace, and so on. So I don't think it matters greatly who comes in and, and where he's asked to play. He would fulfill all of those functions really well. Which is why there was maybe an argument for trying Sancho on the right-hand side. And, and yeah. I, I know Sancho and Sterling swapped sides occasionally during the course of this game. And then having Foden playing for Mount uh, and seeing how that went, maybe giving Mount the last half an hour um, to, to gauge his levels of fitness and so on. Yeah. But I also don't think that it's a question of anybody having done anything wrong. Um, I, I just think that Southgate's in a position where there is a real spine to Actually, his team that yeah. he knows he wants to pick. I think Mason needs... Mountain is included in that as well. I I'd think he say. probably is. And his, it was, his... Is it his diligence that he likes? Is it? Is it? It's a lot to do with his pressing ability. Yes, yeah. off the ball, he works incredibly hard and intelligently. Yeah. And that's something, again, that's matched on that left-hand side with Sterling, who's really good at that too. Um, and it, it sort of creates this ability for England to force turnovers and then very, very quickly counterattack in the left half space, which is a, of huge value yeah. because it also drags the opposition across and leaves Sancho, for example, either centrally or wide right in loads and loads of space to carry the ball. Um, but, you know, Mount also makes these runs beyond. He takes players with him. He distracts players. So even if he's not always getting the ball and participating in the sorts of passing triangles that England do like to create on the left-hand side, he's incredibly valuable because he knows exactly what to do. Yeah. Well, tell me about Jadon Sancho because he did start today. I mean, I feel almost bad having having this conversation about Phil Foden. It just 
just came to mind beforehand. Jed and Sancho had a great game. Yeah, I, I think we we were saying, or I was saying before, that he's he's a, a genuinely great player. I'm not sure he quite clicks in this team yet. And I think the reason for that is that Sancho is used to playing in a very quick transitioning vertical Borussia Dortmund side. Um, that comes up across uh, against very high defences, quite spaced midfields, teams that are always looking to press and all, and therefore do have the ability to lose their defensive shape. Mm. And so his broken field running and his ability to link with other players who are always trying to run forwards and look for those openings like a Julian Brandt or an Erling Haaland works really, really well. This England side, a lot of the time, unless the opportunity is absolutely on, they will check back inside. They will yeah. play a safe pass, and that's great. And that's how Southgate controls games. And that's they love security. They really they love security. Who doesn't and, love and security? Sancho, you could see as the game progressed that Sancho was doing more of that, mm. and he was checking back inside a little bit. He was playing a slightly safer pass and then trying to move himself into a more aggressive position. I think he's such a capable and intelligent footballer that he will adapt, and that those moments that he can bring to a side particular against packed defences will become increasingly important. Yeah. But I can also understand why Southgate has transitioned him into this team because he's not immediately a tactical fit, yeah. even if he's a brilliant player. Imagine uh, having to pick one of Grealish, Sancho and Foden for one position. <laughs> yeah, it's it's incredibly it's hard. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's incredibly hard. Yeah. Uh, there's so many stickers on your table, JJ. <laughs> Yeah. What have you been doing? Picking um, them off? What's no, I just put there? them on. You just put them on there? Yeah. Oh, you stuck them to the table? No, no. Oh, no. They're just there. They're just there. That's nice. For listeners, tell us a bit about the stickers you've got there. Um, they are from Euro 2016. Right. And I, I discovered I have far too many pounds worth of stickers sitting in my bag, mm. and I found them. They were still in your bag? Yeah. From four years later? Yeah. That bag needs a clean out, doesn't it? That's well, a... I, yeah. <laughs> but um, I thought they'd be nice here. Have you got one of Jaden Sancho? Uh, no, I don't. It, well, you wouldn't because he wasn't in the England team in That's 2016. Exactly. Yeah. But you did like the way that he sort of wiggled through three players today. Yeah, I really like the way Sancho plays. I like the way he can dribble past players. And it's something I think we'll see at Manchester United a lot is he'll make things happen in tight spaces mm -hmm. where when they're playing against uh, teams who sit back in that low blocks that Man United always come up against, always teams sit deep. And that's where they struggle when they have... Far more of possession. There was a there was a there was a big time uh, in the Premier League where they couldn't beat those teams. They were always winning when they had less of the balls. So it's almost like they wanted to get rid of it so they'd be able to beat them. And uh, now still they have the same problem when they come up against a really good defensive team. Not even a good like a, just a defensive team. A bad one can do it to them too because then they just have to do stuff with the ball. Mm. And it's easier to block stuff than it is to try and make things happen. But Sancho's going to be able to, guy, to be the guy that drives them through little bits of space. And the, there's a little trick where he went past. Was it two or three Ukrainian players at once? Yeah. A little, a little scoop of the ball and a little uh, drop shoulder. And it took three of them out of the play. And that was in past. And that gives you such a huge advantage. If you're always looking for overloads, you don't even need to have an extra player to form an overload. You've just got him skipping past players to take you onto that. You can't run past the entire team like he's George Weah. Sure. And even that George Weah goal that I don't know if you know I'm referencing where he sort of he stumbles through a lot of it. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> he does. Still good, obviously. Um, see. Yeah. He's going to, uh, yeah. It, it was great to see him play. I'm, it might 
turn out to be really clever management on Southgate's behalf because yeah. had he played in an earlier game with all the noise surrounding his future, yeah. it'd be very easy, especially for the English press, to go, well, he's not playing well because yeah. he's thinking of his new move. But now they're going, he's got his new move. Yeah. And he is focused. Let's get him on. Yeah. yeah he's nice as him. And I wonder who will, if, if he'll play against Denmark in the next round. I think that's be... a question for later. Yeah, okay. But I do want to ask you a different question, though. It's about Luke Shaw and his underrated set-piece delivery. Because we, we've discussed this before. One of the big things, uh, other than the kind of inverted winger element of uh, Kieran Trippier in, in the first game, was that he, you know, there was a, there was discussion that his set-piece delivery was very good, and that might be one of the reasons for his inclusion in that first game. But I felt that Luke Shaw was slighted by that, because he's a great set-piece deliverer. And he delivered for a goal today. He delivered with his left foot as well. And that's one of the things. So Trippier's obviously left, uh, right-footed. So you get that. And then you already have Mount that can do that. Yeah. Um, Did he deliver for two goals, actually? I wonder if he took that corner for the for the second Kane goal. I can't remember. But anyway. I can't remember either. I could look it up. I've got things here and I can't lose it. And I will. Uh, the uh, I think Shaw's set-piece delivery is really underrated. I think he's improved dramatically in the last year and a half. At everything. Um, yeah, whoever's been coaching him at United, so I don't know. They're, they're, they've got a few very high-level coaches there, highly respected. Whoever's working with them there is getting it dead right. Could be Solskjaer yeah. overseeing it all, but I'd imagine it's just, he just seems to know Michael what he's Carrick. doing. It could be Michael Carrick. I'm not sure. He, I think he's a technical coach. I don't know. There's, they've all got different roles. Who it doesn't knows? matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The sessions are all agreed by the manager beforehand, and they go through it, and it's, it's all there. <laughs> Solskjaer knows what he's doing, no matter what you think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. So I was looking through some of his numbers from last season. I'm not sure it really matters in this tournament because it depends who you're playing against. And yeah. over a season of Premier League, you can kind of gauge people. So uh, chances created from open play. He's got 43 chances created, which puts him in the same bracket as people like uh, Firmino. Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's basically a winger the entire time, is on 49 above him. Um, should we do point uh, per game really be a better way to judge it? But essentially, he's very high up. He's in the top 15 or so for chances created in open play. In the league? Pieces, yeah. Of all players? Of all the players, and he's left back, yeah, and you don't even wow. think of that, do you? Do you know what's even better, though? What's better? In ter- so he's played 29 games, and so the people can I just clarify, Can I clarify, was that from set pieces or in open play? That was open play. He, he he was in the top 15 of... Chances created from open play. Chances created for open play in the whole of the Premier League. Yeah. Hot diggity dogs. that surprise you, Alex? No. Nothing surprises Alex, <laughs> Andy Robertson's just above him. Like, Because yeah. fullbacks are essentially their wide players now. Because it comes back to our earlier point about why Sancho will be good, is that... Uh, so many teams sit back against United because they are terrified of a good yard in transition that yeah. naturally he's going to get forward far more if he'll put crosses in and he's got the space ahead of him right? exactly and yeah. they don't mind if you put the ball in the box because if it's not Cavani playing who's going to head the ball in mm. Rashford no it's not going to happen so sure. it's kind of a it's not a safe defensive ploy it sounded like you were telling Rashford not to do something <laughs> I know I did that in a weird voice Rashford no I like no, Rashford. Rashford a character I don't know why I was doing it um, but anyway, my actual interesting point now, prepare yourself for this. This is what? The other one wasn't interesting? Correct. Wow. Well, this is chances created from set plays in the mm. Premier League last season. So Luke Shaw has played 32 games. The players above him have more games, so his numbers are going to be better per 90. Um, he's, cre- he's created 29 chances from set plays, which suggests his set-piece creation is very good. The players above him are Aaron Cresswell, Pascal Gross, Mason Mount, and James Ward-Prowse, who was the best set-piece taker like, in the Premier League. Yeah, and those are all players who are constantly commended for their set-piece taking. Exactly. And, and you've Luke also Shaw is got... not really part of that conversation. Maybe because yeah. he's better at other things too. <clears throat> it's just so useful having a left-footer who can do that, because obviously United have Fernandes on the right. I mean, yeah. we're talking about United now. Maybe. This is very useful that England's got it. Um, and you have to then also think of Luke Shaw, how well he's done. He takes the corners for United as well, and I think he took them for England tonight, didn't he? 
Southgate's managed that squad. It's important in these games. You see how many injuries there have been. Yeah. It's really important to rotate your squad and not and make sure no one gets injured. And he yeah. has rotated almost all the positions apart from the two midfield players. Yeah. And uh, they, there's been a lot of uh, subs for those two positions in the middle. Yeah. So they're all rested well, right? So, yeah. It's like if you play the old football manager games and they're going to be like starting a game about 91% or 85%. That's yeah. bad. Yeah. So you have to take them off early or you just rest them. Foden might come in for the next game because he's now had two or three games of rest. Yeah. He started the first two games after a massive season. Yeah. It might just be that his workload's been too high, so they're keeping him low because he's a high injury risk. Then you can get him on. Yeah. Now he's fresh. I, I think Southgate might be really smart and knows what he's doing. It seems that way, doesn't it? It's really clever management. Well, Anyway, we'll discuss more about how smart Gareth Southgate is when we come back from this break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're back from the break. Uh, and now I want to incite, I want to incite a debate between the two of you, because I've had separate conversations with yourself, Alex, and with yourself, JJ, about the player Declan Rice, who nearly scored a goal today, had a fantastic shot blocked by the Ukrainian keeper, uh, and of course was uh, uh, subbed off just after, not long after the second half of the second goal had gone in, replaced by Jordan Henderson. He was also on a yellow card, wouldn't want to miss him for the next game. He's been crucial to England's success thus far. Alex really likes him. JJ doesn't like him quite as much. And now I want you to fight. (laughs) Uh... Well, do you want me to go first? Was... I think maybe who who's better to go first? Is it better to? It's better, probably better to explain Alex why he likes him, right? I think so, and it's nice. Alex, why do you good. like him? And then JJ hopefully will lose all confidence by the time it gets to him. <laughs> um, okay, so there's the first thing to say is that there are two Declan Rices, not in some sort of weird metaphysical sense. He's going to win the fight. <laughs> <laughs> I can already see he's going to win the fight. The, the he's de- already split the Declan Rice. Yeah, that's I'm just. What he's done is he's dug a hole there, and every time you say anything, he's going to put it into the second hole, which is not his victory hole. So he's already won. Go on. Yeah, points are bad. (laughs) Um, The Declan Rice who plays for England is considerably more conservative than the Declan Rice who plays for West Ham. His job for England is to screen the back four or even back three if it's that. Uh, he is a genuine pivot in the sense that a lot of the play goes up to him and then comes back or goes wide. And he can look quite boring playing for England. And one of the things that I, because I watched a lot of Rice for England before I ever saw him for West Ham, and I thought here is somebody who is incredibly pedestrian, who often finds himself in the wrong space. He's being marked. He's doing in deep build-up. Like he's quite annoying as a player. He slows everything down. And then I watched him for West Ham and realized that this is clearly because he's being told to do this. Because at West Ham, he's totally different. He's much more expansive. He carries the ball. 
is the smiling thing to put me off? Or? <laughs> no, don't no, keep looking just, at me. I'm just, waiting, I'm just watching JJ to see. Because <laughs> it's quite... I want to see if his face falls or anything. Yeah, he seems, okay. he no, seems, he seems strong still. He does seem confident, doesn't he? Okay, you carry on. Um, ding, ding, and ding. so I think what you have with, with Rice is a player who is intelligent enough to adapt to the role that he's been asked to do. Um, for England, he could carry the ball. He could hit those sort of long switch passes that he does for West Ham. He could get forwards a little bit more. Oh. But because he is there to occupy another player to allow someone like Maguire to build up or to allow the fullbacks to push up, he just keeps everything safe and solid. Uh, and yeah, he's like a proper old school holding midfielder for England. And I really like that. And in the blue corner, <laughs> it's JJ Bull. Are you yeah. still excited about your go? Yeah. Because he's dug two holes there. Be no. careful. You want to throw things in the victory hole, not oh, in I'll the other hole. Dig. An even bigger hole. All right. Uh, that engulfs both of his. Go. Perhaps we'll see. So I agree. Clearly, Declan Rice is a good player. I'm not saying he's not for a second. But mm. I think he's not of the elite tier. I don't think he's the higher tier. And I think he's spoken of that quite a lot. Sure. So I would put like peak Busquets at that kind of height for a similar sort of role. Mm. I know they're not exactly the same when you're playing for different clubs. Yeah. All, the, all the caveats aside. So what I see with Rice is that he has... He clearly has the like an elite player's mentality. He has the mentality of a top player, which is why he was playing when he was very young, which is why he can play at centre-back and defensive midfield and doesn't look phased in either of them. He can play either of those positions, but he's very safe. He reminds me a little bit of almost, if you take, it's like Jordan Henderson's mentality, the winning mentality, determined, composed, that's what you want. But Henderson's a lot more busy. He's yeah. really busy and fires around, whereas Rice is a lot more stable and composed and safer and slower, and he'll keep you safe. But I don't think that's always what you need. And I think the player that he's talked about an awful lot, I think I think Rice is a like one of West probably West Ham's best player. I think he'd be quite he'd be fine for someone like Chelsea. Um, I don't think he'd be able to do the job at all at Manchester City. I don't think he could play him at Barcelona. If you're talking about that height, like how good they are. I don't think he could do the Barcelona job. Well, let's pause here for a moment. Is that what you're talking about, Alex? Could you think he would be a good fit for a, for a, a top Premier League team uh, fighting for the the Premier League? title i think he could i think he's a system player i think he could play in certain systems i could see him working in the holding role at chelsea for example but you're right i couldn't see him doing that job for manchester city because he doesn't have yet the dynamism going forwards um but i don't think that means it, it could could he could he be considered a world class player no. within the top elite bracket no this, but, this, I, I mean, but, but I we're not having a fight then are we i didn't say he could with, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think it's, i think it's a technical ability oh. so like also can i just like the world class thing mm. Oh, to, to, not only has he dug two holes, but now he's picking apart the fabric of the universe go on pick it apart well no but i just i just think if you're talking about world class players it's like you know the, literally like the top 25 players in the world and clearly Declan Rice is not one Which of number them. does he get into? What's his number? Um, 174? 94? I mean, he's probably... 86? I don't know. He's, pick, pick a he's number. like top 250, maybe. That's not that good. And that's being... I feel like I'm in the top that's 250. That's being generous, yeah. I would suggest. Yeah. No, given how many really great... And I'm talking about all players here. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, th I think he can develop into one of the couple of best holding midfielders in the Premier League, yes. I think, uh, I don't think he'll get that much better technically. And I think that's the kind of thing that is holding him back. So for me, for me, he's just below that uh, real top clear. I mean, I'm taking a player like Tony Kroos. I know he's a different player, but someone who can make these passes. So like, 
if Rice receives it in a difficult situation, his pass is always going to be the safe one that helps you control and be, and be slow, and it's mostly backwards or sideways. That's what he's going to do. For England. For England. But I don't think his passing technique is that he's able to make these kind of passes that the very elite, the very best players can, that are able to make that sort of difference. And I, I don't know if I'm just sort of arguing against what certain media publications will portray him as, as though he is this grand... Yes. Grand old player. Is anyone actually think, saying? I that? think you and I are actually a lot closer than I think we Joe. probably are. Yeah. Joe's trying to create a wedge between the two of us. It's how he survives is yeah, by divide and conquer. Yeah. Um, but it's not worked. <laughs> like an energy vampire. In fact, <laughs> of both of the two holes, Joe's got, he's fallen in both of them. Well, you know. And we're just looking at you, laughing. I like being underground. Don't like being ground level. Ground level, dangerous place to be. Well, what can you say? Anyway. That was a rubbish fight, and if they had that fight in Vegas, the whole place would be upset. Put it that way. I, I entirely agree. Yeah. Okay, well, what about this? Can we have a fight about this? No, we're not going to have a fight about this, but we're going to talk about defending metrics. Because hmm? this is an interesting thing that, that you found out, Alex. We were talking about England's defence a little bit earlier, and uh, you said that maybe what they're doing is a thing that's different to what I thought they were doing. Yeah, so... England are... Because they haven't conceded a goal yet. Right. They yeah. haven't... So good, isn't it? Isn't that good? Remember when I was saying that in the last two podcasts and everyone was mocking me? You have said it once or twice. Uh, I haven't conceded a goal yet. Go yeah. Um, so you would think that England, because they've played a decent array of opponents now and also everybody else in the tournament has played a decent array of opponents, you would expect England to be, you know, to have a couple of, of standout defensive players. But actually, in terms of individual metrics, and yes, partly because he's rotated the centre-backs a little bit, but England don't have any players that are making loads and loads of defensive actions, um, nor are they anywhere near the top of any of the real, like, clear defensive metrics as a team. How does that work, then? So I think the way that it works is that they are defending space more than they're defending... So this, this tournament generally has seen a decrease in levels of, of pressing PPD areas quite down. That's passes per defensive action. Teams are being a bit more passive. But England seem to be really, really good at being passive in such a way that directs the opposition to play away from them. So they're not having to lunge in and make challenges. They're not even making that many interceptions. They seem to be kind of shepherding the ball away from dangerous areas. Preempting. Yeah, and it is this kind of safety blanket that that Southgate has thrown over particularly the middle of the pitch. Mm. Is it's a way of ensuring that you're not constantly getting pulled out of shape because you know the the danger with teams pressing is always that if the wrong number of players go or one player reacts to a pressing trigger and another doesn't or whatever, you can get pulled out of your defensive shape easily. Mm. That's much more likely to happen for an international team because they have much less time to practice these things and pressing structures are very, very complicated things. But also Southgate has clearly kind of said to them, don't even really proactively look for the ball. There will be one or two occasions and it's usually high and wide. So they will attack the opposition when they have the ball close to the opposition's own goal line in the corners. But the rest of the time, it's full back, make a line, get them to play around us, not ever really go for the ball. One yeah. thing I did notice is that versus dribbling, 
these stats are all from FB Ref, um, that England have made the fewest tackles of people who are dribbling with the ball. Their percentage success rate is also the second lowest. Mm. But the number of times they've been dribbled past by an opponent is only the fifth worst. Yeah. So this was the point I was making about teams not carrying the fight to them. And that's partly, I think, because the wall that Southgate has thrown up is kind of, it seems so impenetrable that teams are having to find other ways to do it. The players aren't getting the space to build up the momentum to try and carry the ball forwards. Can I say, it makes England sound a bit like sort of victims of mild trauma, doesn't it? Because you know how like, I can't lose my wallet and I can't fall asleep on a late train because I have sufficient anxiety about that, that that will never happen to me. Now, that's quite a good thing. But at the same time, doesn't that not prevent me from living a full life? Do you know what I mean? It sounds like this with England, where you're saying that uh, <laughs> they're surveying, they're so anxious about what could happen, that they survey ahead. It's like minority report, but on the football pitch. No, I, I don't think it's necessarily because they're anxious. Mm. I think, again, like JJ was saying before, Southgate, has been very smart about a lot of things. I didn't really mean it. I was just oh, like, right. I was just riffing, having okay. a riff. Fine. Do you want to riff with me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Steal his wallet. Yeah. Southgate's, yeah. But he's got some cards in there. All his tactics, ideas he's got yeah. in there. But he's got loads of phone numbers. I bet. He, loads of phone yeah. numbers. Like yeah. for the physios who are telling them, don't let your players press too much because yeah. they're all going to get injured if you yeah. do it as well, which would probably be another reason. Really smart. That they just wait rather yeah. than trying to win the ball. You just, I mean, it, you're always going to make mistakes. Ukraine did it a couple of times today. Just pat, like just one loose pass. And also England don't throw people forward. Mm-hmm. They do it with a few amount yep. of players. But this, this is the point I was making earlier with Sancho. Yeah. Is that, that teams that throw people forwards, yeah. like a Borussia Dortmund, that really suits him because yeah. he's either making the run to go with or he's the one carrying the ball. But sometimes they lose their wallets. Sometimes and they, when they fall lose asleep their on the train. Right. Yeah. And, and England don't fall asleep on the train because they have lots of energy drinks. They always get home on and time. that helps them. And do you know what? Getting home on time is a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. You can, but sometimes you don't want to get home on time. You know what I mean? I um, always want to I get home I felt like they got home time. like a tiny bit late. Or maybe they got home early today. You know? And that's kind of fun too. When is it good to be late home? When you're never when you're not expecting it and you don't have to get up next day, you know. I don't know what situation this it would be <laughs> uh, when you've. When, no, I can't. I can't riff on that because I, the first three things that came into my head are things I shouldn't say on the live show. Uh, let's one more break now. One more break. Back after this, and we're back. Right. One last thing on England here uh, was Raheem Sterling's lovely assist. For the first goal, that, that kind of play-through ball. Yeah. Uh, Seb texted me at the time to say, don't remember the last time I saw him make an assist like that. And yeah. I think that's right, isn't it? It's fairly uncommon, that type of incisive play from, from behind. Yeah, so the answer would be a couple of times in November 2019. Um, once against Kosovo for England and once against Dinamo Zagreb for Man City. And I think the reason for that is that Sterling quite infrequently carries the ball forwards at pace. Um, generally speaking, particularly for Man City, his job is to stay as an assister, is to stay quite wide, bring the ball back inside onto his right foot and then play one of those little cutbacks, which um, they love doing. It's the very kind of juego de position thing of mm. 
get forwards, pull it back, boom, into the middle for an unrushing player. Boom. Um, and he excels at that. He yeah. also excels at himself running in behind and being the receiver for that pass. Mm-hmm. Um, but this kind of running with the ball in, in broken field and then being able to convert that into a through ball is, yeah, it's something that he hasn't done for an assist. I mean, I didn't look at all his passes because I didn't have time. That would time. take a long time. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it is unusual for him to to have that kind of, I think it's, it's because of the way he plays. It's because he is asked to stay on the touchline so much or um, also because I think he, particularly in this tournament, because he's been so good, he attracts increasing number of players. Yeah. He, he's, you know, he's identified now as England's danger man in yeah. that final third, particularly in the left half space. He's got so, his own gravity. Right. He's, yeah. So as soon as he gets He's the pulling ball, in the other celestial bodies. The other celestial bodies come towards him mm. and that restricts his ability to do that. Yeah. But if you give him the space, and this is the thing with Sterling, is he is such a clever player positionally yeah. that he will more often, yes, there are times where he's not as aggressive as people would like him to be. And there are times where he avoids making more aggressive passes. But by and large, he will do the right thing. And the right thing isn't always the exciting thing. Um, it's a bit like your staying out analogy. Sure. You know, um, Sterling always knows when he's got a job interview the next morning. He does. Uh, and that's why you don't always see this yeah. thing. He never forgets to brush his teeth. He doesn't. He yeah. doesn't. You've no. got to be in the guy's orbit. Too far away, too much space, too close. You're going to get past celestial bodies, eh, JJ? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh I'm going to talk about Ukraine's change that they oh. made and why it might be relevant to the next game that England will play. Yes, please. So Ukraine started with a 5-3-2, which is what uh, uh, we thought they were going to do, myself and Alex, yeah. in our little preview video. Mm-hmm. And um, so Sedsky said he said that's what he thought they would do in his pre-match interview as well. And that's why he lined up in the, the shape he did. Now Denmark... Um, uh, well, might learn, not, might not learn, but will draw from what Ukraine then did. So they changed it about 36 minutes and they took off a player and put an extra striker. Yeah. Um, so they could uh, change to a 4-3-3. And then all of a sudden they were they learned that you can just go at England and it forced yeah. England to stop playing the way they were. That troubled them for a good 10 minutes, didn't they, until the end yeah. of the first half? I think being direct and kind of going at them, you're trying to create that chaos that England don't want. That's what they're trying to do. I also feel like Denmark will definitely do that. Yeah, I think Denmark, yeah, 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 I agree. I, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, let's talk about Denmark, and then maybe we can talk about the, line, uh, the sort of matchup a little, little bit later, because this was an uh, interesting game earlier too. We've picked out two things that we want to talk about uh, as it relates to the uh, the Denmark-Czech Republic game. Of course, the score was uh, Czech Republic 1-2 Denmark, goals from Delaney and uh, Dolberg, and uh, one from Patrick Schick as well. In fact, let's begin with with uh, Patrick Schick because we won't be seeing him again in the Euros. We might be seeing him. I mean, we will be seeing him depending on which league, which domestic league you watch. Uh, but I wanted to have this conversation, Alex, about uh, the sort of players either being over, generally over or, or maybe sometimes undervalued as a result of tournament performances. You know, uh, as it relates to Patrick Schick specifically, because I'm curious to know if we think he's a top, top player as his number of goals and performances at the Euros have shown. Uh, or is he maybe a Hamas Rodriguez, you know, from 2014? Um, so, there, yes, there was this kind of received wisdom of unwisdomness. That's terrible. Um, that uh, players would get bought off the back of international tournaments. 
And one of the reasons for this is that back in the good old days of only Marcelo Bielsa having VHS, players would suddenly, would genuinely suddenly appear from nowhere because teams didn't have access to video scouting and people weren't flying around all over the place looking at stuff. Yeah. Um, there is also, I think, this thing that certain teams, and of course Real Madrid and James Rodriguez is a good example of this, there are certain teams who will go out and buy players because they've performed really well on the world stage to say, we just went and bought the best guy at the last World Cup. Yeah. Um, I think performance of international players at tournaments definitely inflates their value. Obviously, we're going into a very weird transfer window. So who yes. knows if that's going to happen. Seb made quite a funny comment about that, didn't he? What was that? In the WhatsApp, I believe Seb sent us one saying, it's kind of a shame for Patrick Schick that uh, oh, yes. he's massively performed at uh, Euros when no when another all, clubs... All the that... teams with bad processes and lots of money yeah. don't have lots of money. What yeah. a shame. Um, and and I think there's there's still a degree to which... I don't know, potentially a good performance in in a tournament when the pressure is on. You're showing adaptation to a new system, possibly. You're showing tactical intelligence of working under a new manager. You're showing resistance to pressure. You're potentially showing leadership. These kinds of intangible qualities are there. What you definitely don't want to do is go and drop fifty million pounds on the guy who scores five goals at the Euros. Sure, that's pointless. I want to do that. I like him. Sure. I do it right now. I mean, he's Patrick Schick is a very good player. My friend, oh well, friend of the podcast, Paul Ansorge, texted me earlier to say that it's a good job he's not in charge of a football club because he'd do exactly the same thing. And with Doku from Belgium too. Right, but it depends on the club, and it, you know Patrick Schick would be a good fit at certain Premier League sides. I'd take him anywhere. Okay. I I mean, I don't... <laughs> I just, you used to just carry on. Sure. I, I was so stunned by that comment. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, think, I think there are certain things with Patrick Schick. There are warning flags. There are... What are the warning flags? Well, a couple of loan spells that were unsuccessful. In a... Baxter <laughs> carries what? it around with him. What was that? He's making a pirate flag joke, you know. Oh, oh. Yeah. Is he one? Yeah, okay. Um, He's not a pirate, as far as I'm aware. He's no. answering what are warning flags very specifically. Oh. Very, very literally asking, okay. answering that question, yeah. That's, I guess. So Patrick Chick is not a pirate, as far as we're aware. Yeah. Um, What's his middle name, Pirate, then? Huh? <laughs> Tell me that. Then he would be PPS. That would be like the thing after the, the post The second script. afterthought. Sure. Patrick Chick. Um, a bit like where this conversation is going. Yeah, really. Yeah, um, yeah I, think, I think if you're... Like he's not really bedded in and excelled at any club side. He's been loaned out. He's sort of, you know. Okay. I, I I like him. I think there are there are teams that are, you know, if you're if you're using a high press, if you cross the ball a lot, if you want a very athletic centre forward, i.e., if you're Leeds United, he works really well there. I don't think he works at Manchester United. Okay. Well, there we go. That's Patrick. You want to say anything about Patrick Schick? Uh, Other than his middle name's pirate? Basically agree with Alex with all that. Um, yeah. I think one of the things is that I feel like one of the things I'm quite good at sometimes, mm. uh, not many things, but is you can Yoga. see a player play and I can sort of tell whether they're any good or not. Right, yes. And my example would be that I knew Virgil van Dijk was quite good when I first saw him play for Celtic. Okay. That's my proof. Yeah, good. Uh, watching Schick in this tournament, I think he is a proper, like I think he could play a, a very high level like the Premier League you could play in yeah. I think he could play I think he'd 
caused damage in the Champions League if he came off the bench like Barcelona or something like that. I right. genuinely think he's a very good player. He was very highly rated a long time ago. I think he was at Sampdoria. Mm. He was really highly rated and big things were expected and didn't quite go to plan. Like uh, he went to Roma and then didn't score like two goals and three goals, I think, in season after season. I say I think. Mm. I'm looking at his stats now. So I sure. know that. I'm just pretending that I'm making it up. Yeah, that's nice. But that's exactly what he did. He scored yeah. two goals and three goals. So his striker career kind of uh, faltered, they'll say. But coming back around now, and I think... It seems to be, I think I read somewhere or I heard someone say that he just wasn't quite the physical uh, stature that he was then that he is now. Mm. So he has grown with muscle, probably from all the pirating. Yeah. So he's a lot stronger mm. in battles. Uh, I don't know about sword fighting. Well, but hauling in a... <laughs> hauling in chests of gold yeah. from the sea floor. I was thinking like wrapping your arms around a, a large a mast is very um, d- difficult work. Like well, that's uh, one uh, of the... clambering up to the... Uh, to the the, p- uh, the p- pigeons view the. Well, that's one of the training sessions that the was crows innovative. Nest. The crows nest. Of this season the from Bayer Leverkusen. View. Yeah. The pigeons view. <laughs> the crows nest. That's what you see on YouTube. You go to any Bayer Leverkusen training session. He's yeah, scurrying yeah, yeah. up to the pigeons view crows nest. Well, that's it, man. But that's it. Um, but that's one of the reasons he's so good now. Because to play that kind of solo striker role, you've got to be strong enough to do it. If you're, he's not a quick pacey forward who runs like an advanced forward who runs off the top. He is a guy who can uh, hold his own in the penalty box and is really clever with his movement and gets the shots away quickly. There's one mm. he um, dragged wide earlier today. Yeah, it was close to the side netting, but the way he managed to skip it over a player and then shoot, he's got a bit of flair about him. Knows when to use it. Doesn't waste yeah. his. See, that pitches. reminds me a great bit of Bamford. Bamford, yeah, I think, I think Leeds is a great shape man for that. Yeah. He'd be fantastic there. I like it. Well, another player I want to talk about from this game was uh, was uh, Hoiberg because he has a slightly different role for Denmark as he does to Spurs. Alex, yeah, he's more attacking, and I like it, and you like it. Yeah, um, I did. I want to see him sort of break free a little bit. I did Spurs get team. some stats, but I... there's some stats here in the plan that he says oh, he's nineteenth for goal creating actions per ninety, mm. at seventh for shot creating actions per ninety in the Euro so far, and that's a little different to his Spurs stats. Yeah, so small you... sample size. Small sample size caveat, mm. yes, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about four times more uh, attacking yeah. than he is for Spurs. And I think that's because, and we saw it in this game against the Czech Republic, Denmark Denmark really played with some abandon in this game. <clears throat> I, I, Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Seb mentioned they've scored four goals in both of their games prior to this yeah. game. Yeah, Two in today, but they could have scored more. They could have, and it was very, very open. Um Obviously, in the previous game, they pushed Christensen up to sit as a defensive midfielder. They didn't do that here. So they had, I mean, Christensen was roaming all over the place at times. He was up near the edge of the penalty area. Incredibly aggressive uh, fullbacks, wingbacks. Um, Delaney seems tasked with occupying most of central midfield on his I mean, don't get me wrong, like Hoiberg does drop back, but Hoiberg tends to be the one who is pushing forwards or or drifting over across into the right half space and then trying to play these passes yeah. that go out towards Mailer or out towards Damsgaard. Um Both of whom were excellent. Both of whom were excellent. I mean, I, I don't think there was a Danish player who I didn't feel was excellent. Um, yeah. How is when he was youth at Bayern? Was he not a right back and a six? He played under Guardiola. He was, yeah, he was a kind of Philip Lahm. He do both. He's one of those Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and Pep waxes lyrical or, or he, you know, he does. He's quoted in Pep Confidential, um, the Paranar book about um, 
about how he sees Hoiberg as this, you know, burgeoning great pivot player like he was. Um, and you can kind of see that that creativity, the ability to play line-splitting passes, but you harness that slightly further up the pitch. You know, at Spurs, and I think this is partly because he was coming from Southampton, and at Southampton he was just a terrier, mm. right? All, his job was to just hunt the ball yeah. all the time. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Recovery after recovery after recovery. Yeah. Uh, and he did it superbly, and he's got a great engine. But there is a playmaker there as well. Mm. And Denmark appear to be playing with the shackles off currently. Certainly they did in this game. And Hoiberg is really a beneficiary of this. And I think what will be interesting for me is to see, particularly with Spurs having a new manager coming in, whether he is permitted to play a little bit more creatively and freely in the coming Premier League season than he he did before. Who's that young player that Wolves have? I can't remember his name. Neves. Who plays in the Ruben kind of, Neves? Yeah. Ruben Neves sort of plays in that uh, slightly creative, little deeper role, doesn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and Neves is is a lot less uh, physically mobile than mm. Heiberg. Mm. So, well, there we go. Physical mobility, yes, please. Uh, right, last thing to discuss now before we go to pab pints are bad is Denmark will play England in the semi-finals, JJ of Euro twenty twenty. I don't know what day. I assume it'll be Wednesday. That's exciting, isn't it? But uh, tell me what you think about that game ahead of time, because uh, Denmark have been fantastic for the last, uh, particularly for the last three games. It's not going to be easy. No, I mean, you can see. I mean, obviously, the, the what happened to Denmark in the first game, which was yeah, obviously everyone saw it was horrible. But that there might be something. The the, the group to seals very together. There, yeah. there's going to be some sort of um, spirit that comes through with that that you can't ever manufacture it's just there and they're playing with sort of a confidence a renewed energy they're they're they're, they're playing really nice football they're good they've got yeah. a good goalkeeper they've got some good defenders Hoiberg's playing having a really good uh tournament um I mean even Dahlberg's yeah scoring like the player who's I mean, it's, a, it's a tick in every box isn't it basically. they've pretty much got everything and I think they're playing quite they don't sit back and defend nor do they go all out attack it's quite a good balance I think the way they took on uh uh, Czech Republic today, it, it was a weird game to watch. I couldn't, it didn't seem like, it just sort of happened in the game. Yeah. This is bad analysis, but you're watching it and there's no clear kind of structure. I mean, there was a point where Hoiberg, I wonder this character is a chance created from open play where he just launches the ball over the top of the high line, just punts it basically, mm. but it's a perfect punt and it lands at the boy's feet and he's able to run in behind, I think, I don't think he scores from it. I remember going like, oh, what a ball in the, when we were watching it. But so they can, I think that kind of direct play is something that England haven't really had to come up against yet. It's mostly been quite short mm. passes building up to them. So they wait for the mistake. But if Denmark are going to throw it into them and make them, <clears throat> that's the thing, if you hit longer direct passes, um, that creates the chaos that Southgate is trying to eliminate. So, I mean, you're not just going to launch it up to, I mean, Dahlberg or, or Brathwaite or something like that, but they could. Yeah. And you can play diagonals to Brathwaite and you've got to try and win that header. Whoever wins that header, there's no guarantee exactly where it's going because they're kind of hard to aim exactly, it's not to feet. And that could cause a bit of prob- a bit of a problem in terms of possession changing an awful lot mm-hmm. and England seeding possession. Then they've got to be really clever in-game. It's all about in-game individual choice management rather than the manager saying, this is what you're going to do all the time. You've got to make snap decisions. And then that's the difference where, I don't know, a player like Rice will make the short pass that's safe or whether he's able to find that cut and one that gets someone away on the break. Um, and if he does that, then I'll be proven entirely wrong and I'll be very happy about it. It's sure. really nice. Alex, let me put this to you. 
Okay, Denmark, yes, have scored four goals in the two games prior to today's game, scored two goals today, have looked, generally speaking, fantastic in the tournament. However, the only difficult team I would say that they've played is Belgium. They lost that game. The two teams that they beat 4-0, Russia were awful in that I mean, they were truly dreadful in that game. And Wales were also very, very bad, right? Mm. The Czech Republic um, are a good team to make it this far. England beat them in the group stages, right? England mm. are undoubtedly the most difficult team that Denmark are going to come up against. And I think it's fair to say that Denmark are yet to play a team with that standard and that level of quality. Mm-hmm. So it's quite difficult to kind of make the judgment, isn't it, really? Because they've looked fantastic in the context of the games that they've played in, but they're about to face an altogether different team. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, But I also think in some ways this is the hardest game that England will have played as well. And I don't think that's... Harder than Germany? I think the Germans had one thing that they could do, and that was... Try to win. Yes, also try. The Germans had two things that oh, they could yeah, do. Sorry, go on. Um, yeah. Everybody knew that Germany's attacking threat would come through the wingbacks. Yeah. And that if you nullified Kimmich's passing ability and Gerson's running ability, stopped the ball going across the pitch from one to the other effectively, immediately you reduce German efficient, uh, not efficiency, <laughs> that also... Um, you you reduce Germany's attacking ability by about fifty percent. Yeah, straight away. Okay, I don't think the Danes are as obvious in the way that they do things. I also don't think the Danes are as weak at the back as Germany had the potential to be. Very very slow Germany are at the back. Um, I think that Dolberg is a different quality of striker in the context of the competition than who England have faced before. You could see him causing England's defenders issues. There are a couple of instances today. There was one where he drifts across into the right half space, the ball comes into him and he just does this little flick with the outside of his foot Mm. to Brathwaite running through. That is exactly the kind of movement I can see England being caused problems by. Sure. Um, It's a kind of tricky Ajax player. Yeah, there's that, like he's a big lad, but he has this technical finesse that yeah. will release those quick players in. And I think in Brathwaite and Poulsen, who is coming back to fitness, uh, Denmark have two very, very strong, aggressive runners who will cut from the wide areas infield, assuming Poulsen starts. Um, that will be an issue because that will that will make England's two fullbacks think in a way that they haven't really had to so far. Um, obviously when they played Germany, that was a big issue, but they moved to a system that was deliberately designed to counter that. So I think Southgate's biggest query here is, does he stay with the four that he used in most of his games or does he go to a three? If he goes to a three, is it likely to invite a bit more pressure or or almost say to Denmark, we fear you as much as we fear Germany, which Mm -hmm. I think they should, but... I also think Southgate might be reticent to do that. I genuinely don't know what the answer to that is. Oh, I'm so excited now. I wonder if maybe he'll play... Uh, a six. No, he'll play it with a, a four, but he'll have Rice um, drop in to perform the three. So he'll play a, a three, in the mid, uh, three in the midfield. It can easily become... Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? So they yeah. start with Maguire and Stones in the middle with Walker there. Less but then, leader, Volpe. Yeah, Rice drop in, then they can play Phillips and probably Henderson there. Because I, th- I think Christensen's roaming is so uh, clever, it will give them an overload in midfield the entire time. It's like having a free 
So the free player is the mm. centre back. Yeah. It's yeah. very weird. So you don't really want to man mark centre back. It doesn't make any sense. It's not that Christensen's coming up and then hitting like Raquel May style through balls or anything. He's just there to link up the play and then yeah. get them forward. And it's taking him up the pitch and it's very hard to work out what to do. And so if you play someone like, you can say Mount sticks on him all the time, then you're taking Mount out of the game. Mm-hmm. So maybe the Southgate matches them up and just tries to, I mean, I think again, man for man, England are probably better. Yeah. So they should win. And Southgate's prerogative is to not concede a goal. So the best thing to do then is to match up your opponent and make sure they can't get past you. So that could be what they do. And expecting that kind of more direct play, if you have three centre-backs on the pitch, including Rice's one, that gives you a bit of uh, protection. They're not going to win though, Joe. Stop smiling while I'm talking about England being good. I'm just thinking as you're talking, I really wouldn't be surprised to see Gareth Southgate get it absolutely right again. Yeah, you I know? think you're dead right. He hasn't got anything wrong yet. It's so it's such cool management and rotating the squad the way he's done it is yeah. obviously going to look very smart um, coming into the tournament. They have a great opportunity now to reach the final of the Euros. They could very well win it. I, I think if Italy get through, I mean, this is a whole different conversation for when, if, when, if either of those teams get through. But I still think Italy are the best team I've seen at the tournament. And I think they can raise their game whenever they want to. And I also think they can uh, uh, kill a game as soon as they want to. And they will weasel their way into a penalty, something like mm. that. Like, I mean, but then you look at Kane, like, the, falls over to win that free kick. It's never a free kick that they to score from. Yeah, England it's don't, kind of thing you don't need. have a a Verratti standard of weasel though, do they? Uh, no, but I think... Listen, guys, we did the weasel content I yesterday. But I think I think Kane is the kind of guy that can win them a free kick they shouldn't get or a penalty they shouldn't get. The thing is that the Italians have about 11 players who are just locked into the game like they're in the Matrix that they know exactly what's going to get get a free kick. It's just I, clever, I, I, I clever have to players. Say, I, all I'll say, and I acknowledge as an England fan that, yes, England could lose to Denmark... Yes, England could lose if they if they were to beat Denmark, could lose to Spain or, or Italy in the final. I'm not worried. I'm genuinely not worried. I'm I, I'm supremely confident in That's a non-arrogant way. It's fantastic. Like it's the best feeling to have. Uh, I think England could also very easily beat any team that's left. It's a weird feeling. And I don't. I'm... I don't think like Alex is over there silently nodding his head as you're talking about Italy being the best team in the tournament. Yeah. You think they'll they'll win? I think it's kind of. Bizarre, bizarre yet again to say that uh, the uh, we, we we sort of uh, posited a hypothetical earlier that were we not in this situation in England with uh, around English people being uh, some of us English, some of us uh, not English, uh, with all of the media about England and the football team here, would we look at England objectively if we were from another country in Europe? That's the way to say it, and uh, and think they're the best team in the tournament. I think I think we would. I think we would. I think they're a very different team to Italy. They have not conceded a goal. They're going to the semi-finals. They could they could win the tournament without conceding a goal. They scored four today. I'm not like I think I'm not sure what else Gareth Southgate and the England team have to do to show you both that they're better than Italy. I think, and I that's think, all I'll say. Well, I, okay. I think now that Italy have lost Spinazzola. that makes a big difference. That is true. Yeah. Um, I think, and we were talking about how that adaptation might work in the last podcast. I, 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 the only reason I say this is that I think that Italy have the best midfield three in the tournament. And I think that that is so important in terms of how you control the game, how you control the pace. Um, that's the area where I think England are slightly overmanned and that's 
where the problem would be. Um, I yeah. Can I, I don't address know. a it's, comment? It's, it's very very narrow. I want to address a comment. I agree with what you're saying, and I, I totally acknowledge <laughs> that it could be difficult. But the comment from Michael Clintz in the chat. England have not been tested. It's undoubtedly arrogance to perceive England as the best team. I, I will not have this thing about England not being tested. I'm it's so, yeah, it's no, so annoying to have to, people always saying that after the World Cup in 2018. Oh, they didn't play a difficult team. They've not. Been, they beat Germany two 0 Germany beat Portugal four yeah. two. Germany's Germany survived the group of death. Germany not the best best Germany team that we've seen in the last twenty years. They're not pushovers. No. That's that is a the very definition of a test, and I will not accept it. I, I also sorry think, to interrupt you though. No, no, no. I think that's right. I, I I don't I don't think there's any arrogance in saying that England are. Well, I mean, obviously England are in the top four teams left, but you know what I mean? Like they are <laughs> quite literally, they yeah. are discernibly a very good side. They have sure. played defensively better than any other team in terms of, in like absolute terms. I also think this sort of argument about playing good teams, A, you can only play who's in, in front of you, but also what what's the point at which you say, or they've played enough good teams to then be counted as yeah. good? France have gone out. Everyone yeah. thought France was a shoe in to win before the tournament, myself included. Yeah, France have gone home. So, how you know if England can't? Oh, they can't get tested against France. Well, they can't because they're out. I also so, don't think. I don't think it's a shoe in that Italy argument. make it to the final either. Sorry, I mean, Spain, whoever said that. Spain are a difficult team to play, right? Spain have scored. Spain scored ten goals in the space of uh, yeah. two games. Spain have a soft centre though. Sure, they have have a soft centre, but like a delicious chocolate. But it's not uh, a foregone conclusion. I've been triggered for the first time in the Euros. I'm been, I, I was so calm today as well, wasn't I? I was so calm. And then I read the comments and I got triggered. Let's yeah. do points are bad now. Because, Pab, there's only one rule. Points are bad. You don't need to be upset because points are bad. They're really, really bad. And I am I am actually no longer upset <laughs> because I'm so far away. Oh, I forgot to add the final points. What? I need to do that now uh, because the score, obviously, was 4-0. I'll tell you that Alex today... Uh, you gained one point on Denmark, Czech Republic. You said 3-1, it was 2-1. You also said England 2-0 Ukraine. So I'm going to add two points for you there. You end the day on 95. Well done to you. Thank you. I hope he gets over 100. I think maybe for the next tournament, if there's the same number of games, we need to remember that 100 is the kind of mark. If you can finish under 100, that's a good score. How many games are left? Three games. Three, yeah. So there's a good chance that you might not make it over 100. It'd be very impressed if you don't do that. And that, sorry, that would be a good score as opposed to an excellent score. Under 100. Yeah. Under 100 would be a good score. For this number of games. For this number of games, yeah. I'm the only person who might get under 100 and there's three games. What does he want? What just more does he want? Praise. He's won. He's just, already won. I'm just saying that your choice of well, we would, is like maybe we'll find in the future that we play this again another ten it times. It is undoubtedly arrogant to suggest. <laughs> <laughs> JJ suggested 4-1 England-Ukraine. So yeah. you only gained one point on that game there, pal, but you are on 104. So you've you've shortened the gap to nine points now. What you'd have to do over the next three games yeah. is uh, is get a, three fewer points per game than Alex to catch up. Okay. Which is kind of doable Yeah, if he suggests things that are three or more points away. 
Are we suggesting your result. predictions today? We're going to be doing that today, yeah. And uh, okay. we're, we're also just going to quickly tot up, I said 7-0 England, only gaining three points there. Three wonderful points to take me to 127, of course, in last place. And Seb said 1-0 England, so he's gaining 3-2. To take him to 111, you've widened the gap from Seb as well, because you were a little bit nervous there, JJ, that you might be caught by uh, the bald-headed eagle coming in after you, <laughs> quite swooping in after you, you know, yeah. found on the plains of Central Europe. Uh, but I would like to hear predictions now for the semi-final of Italy versus Spain, please. It's just one now. It's just one now. Three nil and I'm going to go to... Oh. I'm going first. Three nil Italy. Three nil wow. What, really? Yeah. And what will win, you be win saying? It to win it, baby. The thing is, all he has to do now is predict a score which is closer than three away from the score that you've picked, which is why you should have gone second. You could be a gentleman about this, Alex, and stop trying to work out maths in your head. JJ's all vibes and no tactics. You should. You think you've hit that camera? I have hit that is, camera. Is, is JJ still in frame? Altered my reality. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, he's, he's great. Okay. Um, you may have ruined this. Italy, I'm going to say... <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> Not for me. Don't apologise to me. No, I mean, the, like, I, I mean, I don't know. Italy 2-1. There you go. See, that's, that is... Not far enough away, I don't think. But then now we need something different. To the, uh, Let's give you another go. You can go. He says Italy 2-1, yeah. which is a coward's prediction, obviously, but yeah. we expected that from Alex. Why is it a coward's prediction? Because you're not taking any risks. The average number of goals has been like 2.8 or something yeah. per game. That's why it's a coward's prediction. It's not coward's, it's just sensible. It's exactly sensible, <laughs> cowards. You know, you never lose your wallet, don't fall asleep on the train. You'll go, JJ, now. You need, to, you need to be bold here because there's no sense in... You don't need to worry about Seb at this point. Just be bold. You believe in Italy. You think they're the best team in the tournament. You've got to go big. Yeah, but the sensible or thing... Or just go home, man. The sensible thing to do now is... No, to don't listen to him. No, would don't be to go him. He wants to win. He wants to beat you. I should listen to him. No, you need to go big. Or small. Nil-nil. Yeah, go for a Spain win. That's the sensible move. Nil-nil is three away from him. Italy five. <laughs> Spain 2. Oh, it's going to be such a great game. Do you know what? Yeah. If that happens, I'll just concede the competition anyway. Right, and that's legally binding. Nil-nil uh, penalties. That's what I think. I'm not even taking up my option. Who wins the penalties? One. Do you have to see who wins the penalties? No. What? You don't have to see who wins? Don't have to say who wins. No. Oh. Does it matter if you do see who wins? Mm, no. Yeah. That's it's not, not part of the 87-page rule document. Yeah, results, Joe, the yeah. results don't matter. Published. It doesn't matter who wins. I mean, so for example, it like... doesn't points matter, results matter who don't matter. Well, no, but like in, t no, but in, today's, in today's one, for example, like uh, JJ, you said uh, Denmark 2, Czech Republic 3, right? Mm. But you only gained two points, even though you were way off. Well, like, theoretically, you think a very different game is going to happen, but it's not about that. It's just about the scoreline. Yeah. So, you know... There you go. Well, I'm hoping for a 5-2 Italy win. I'm hoping for a 5-2 as well, but I will take a nil-nil or a 2-1. And hopefully Seb is at home uh, getting his own predictions ready to send us in. Although, of course, he's not at home, is he? Bless him, the poor fella. Sailing in the sky on a hot air balloon ride across, is it, is it Madagascar? Madagascar, but moving over the ocean sure. is what his original plan was, I believe. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, floating high away, they're hard to control those things. Yeah. Especially with no prior training. <laughs> no license. And no we license. did try yeah. to persuade him to get some instructional videos at least. He was just so keen to get out of that lion's den. He said it's got Wi-Fi on it. 
Yeah. And so he just look it up and then it wasn't strong enough. That's arrogance. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it? Didn't have the password for the Wi-Fi, so you can't even use that. The joke is it's just hot air balloon as well, you know. Yeah. What else would it be? Uh, yeah, but there was a, was a zero between the H and the T. Sure. That's what caught him out. <laughs> and that bit's come to an end, as has the whole show. So thank you to Alex Stewart, who we won't see again now for the rest of the live show experience, Alex. We'll, we'll see you. You'll be back to us in the podcast uh, when we return after the Euros. We'll be covering some sensible transfers things, won't we? Uh, yes, I'm going off. Well, we've started working on the sensible transfer stuff already, but that's that's what will occupy me from now on. You're going to go home and bury yourself in the transfer cave? Uh, yes, in the spreadsheet darkness. Spain says 3-1 Seb. Seb says 3-1 Spain. Yeah, I said the sensible thing to do, if I'm winning, the sensible thing to do is to go as far from what I'm doing as possible and predict a Spain win. Well, JJ did say 5-2. Anyway, right, that is... Legally binding. A goodbye also to uh, JJ Bull, the bullet, thank you. You'll be here with us uh, throughout the semi-finals and the final. For always, baby. Boo, 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 boo. And we're going to have a great time. We're going to have a great time. It's going to be lovely. Right. Thanks for everyone tuning in today and listening to the podcast. Hope you've had a nice time. Hope you enjoyed the game. Yeah, it was big. It was good. Hello and goodbye. But also thank you, of course, to our production team, crack team of Don and Craig. And there's Don's uh, hand there. It's a lovely hand. We will be back uh, on Tuesday. So goodbye, bienvenue, tous, ciao, au revoir, uh, festivities. Mm-hmm.